Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Paul Mumaw, and uh, if you've got a Bible with you today and you'd like to follow along, take it and turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, it'll be the third book in your New Testament, which is the second half of our Bibles, but uh, Luke chapter 2. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room uh, on the floor, you can page to, uh, turn to page 716, and we'll also have some of these verses on the screen today. Again, we love when uh, you're able to follow along uh, with us. You know, we just wrapped up a series in the book of James, and uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to ask the Lord to get us ready for Christmas, but also uh, prepare us for the opportunity that we have to uh, to, to share that love, you know, to, to play a specific part uh, in, in um, you know, re-gifting, if you would. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's why we've called this series uh, Re-Gift, and we want to say thank you to uh, churches like Seacoast in South Carolina for sharing videos and resources uh, for a series uh, like this one. But uh, how many of you have ever re-gifted something? All right, be honest, no lying in church, right? Okay, we've all done it before. You, you, you all, I think, know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like maybe you get a gift, uh, maybe it's the office party or something, and you open it up, and your face doesn't show it, but like when you open the gift, you're immediately thinking, like, what, what were you thinking? Like, seriously, like you've, you've given me an errand, right? You know, I mean, you could have given me $20 or something like that, and now, well, again, you've given me an errand. You, I, I, I've got to return this. And then you realize there's no receipt, and so you're kind of stuck with this gift, but then it hits you. You think, wait a second, I've got another party next week. I'll just rewrap this gift, and I'll pass it on to someone else. Again, that's how the, the re-gift works. And uh, I Googled this. You Believe it or not, because you can Google anything. I Googled the word regift this past week to try and understand the origin of the word regift, and it actually dates back uh, 20 years or so to the great uh, philosopher, uh, theologian Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, check this out. Hey, I'd like to go to the Super Bowl. What, you kidding? Here, two tickets. Have a good time. Tim, you didn't have to get me a thank you gift. I know, it's a label maker. Oh, is that a label maker? Yes, it is. I got it as a gift. It's a label baby junior. You know, those things make great gifts. I just got one of those for Tim Watley for Christmas. Tim Watley? Yeah, he sent you that one. One Tim Watley? No. My Tim Watley? The same. He sent it as a thank you for my Super Bowl tickets. He recycled this gift. He's a re-gifter. Are you even vaguely familiar with the concept of giving? Didn't he re-gift the label maker? Possibly. Well, if he can re-gift, why can't you de-gift? Well, here, take Watley's label maker. I don't want to see it again. Is this a label maker? I just came by to pick up my label maker. Uh, okay. You don't have the label maker, do you? Uh, no. I knew it! You're a re-gifter! <laughs> Busted, right? I mean, it just... It's a reminder, if you intend on re-gifting this year, be very, very careful because it can get messy. But uh, here, here's what I want to talk about today. Here's what we're going to talk about these next few weeks. Like, we all know what it's like to re-gift something uh, because we don't want it or you uh, get something that maybe you already have or don't feel like you've got a use for it. But what if I told you that there are certain gifts... All right, there are certain gifts that you are supposed to re-gift. In fact, uh, look at it like this. Like, what if I told you the best gift that you received this year is the one that you're supposed to give away? And again, here's what we're going to do these next few weeks. The, again, the concept of re-gifting, well, it goes way beyond just 20 years ago. In fact, we believe that it goes as far back as Jesus. Uh, because when Jesus was walking the earth, he brought us some gifts 
that, believe it or not, are never fully received until you actually give them away. And uh, these are Jesus' words. This is where the concept of re-gifting comes from. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, the second half of that verse. Here's what Jesus said. He said, freely you have received. All right, now freely you must give. And so Jesus here is uh, teaching and training his disciples. He's preparing to send them out on a field assignment, if you would. But before sending them, he says, hey, here's what you've learned from me. Now I want you to go out and I want you to do for others what I have done for, for you. And so if you've received healing from me, you go out and you be prepared to heal others. If you've received blessings from me, you go out and you be a blessing to other people. See, that's regifting at its best, all right? That's the regifting that we're talking about here. And so our goal over these next few weeks is we want to treat, all right, these opportunities, these daily encounters with people, people all around us every single day as an opportunity to share what we have received. And so imagine with me, if you would, that we've been given orders. You know, it's as if Jesus is saying to us, you've been giving, given much, now I want you to go out and do this for others. And that's true in your homes, that's true in the neighborhoods where you live, uh, the school that you attend, the, the campus that uh, you're attending classes on right now, wherever it is that you work. In fact, anywhere we encounter people, let's make it our goal. Really, that's what we want to do. Let's make it our goal these next few weeks uh, to re-gift with others some of the many gifts that we've received from God. And so we're going to talk about re-gifting joy. We're going to talk about re-gifting love. And today I want to talk to you about re-gifting hope. And wouldn't you agree? I, I think we'd all agree that hope is a pretty powerful motivator. Like if you've ever had hope about something before, you know it, it keeps you moving. If, you, if you've been without hope, you know it has the, well, it has the effect of being able to slow you down, it, it, uh, what it does to your mind, what it does to your outlook about things. Like, like have you ever hoped that someone would ask you out on a date? You know, if, you, if you're single or if, uh, before you were married, like if there was ever someone that you hoped would ask you out on a date, like chances are that hope motivated you to maybe do some things out of the norm. Like maybe it pushed you out of your comfort zone a little bit in, in some of your conversations. Maybe it, it caused you to go out and buy some new clothes. Maybe you, you showered regularly, you know, uh, because of this person. You know, again, there was hope. Uh, and because of that hope, you were willing to do some pretty amazing things. The theologian Hal Lindsey says this. He says, man can live about 40 days without food, uh, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. You see, you can't go very far without hope. All right, hope, hope has this ability of, of, of helping us persevere through some tough times. Uh, it really, it, it keeps us going. Uh, it, it has a powerful effect on us. Now, uh, if you know my family at all, and or if you've been around for a while, you've heard me tell stories, you know that our family loves to travel. And uh, it's a priority for us really to travel. In fact, we're willing to sacrifice some things so that we can get out and have some great experiences, take our kids to some really great places. We want to create fun memories uh, with them while they're in our home. And one of the things that we love to do is we love to get out and see uh, the different national parks. And so uh, we planned a trip a few years back. It's been a few years back now. We went out to California. Uh, we flew into San Francisco and we went immediately to In-N-Out because we're Americans, right? That's what you do. You go and eat somewhere. You go eat somewhere fun. And, uh, but from there, we, we went on down to Yosemite, which is a few-hour drive where we got to spend a couple of days seeing a really amazing national park. In fact, here's a, a picture. Again, this is a few years ago, just looking out on the Yosemite Valley. And uh, again, just such an awesome place. And from, from Yosemite, we traveled over to the coast to Monterey, and then we made our way north up the coast to San Francisco. 
I've got a lifelong friend that lives out there and works for Google, and so we stayed with him for a couple of days. And then on our very last day, the last day of our spring break trip, uh, we went into downtown San Francisco where we saw the Golden Gate Bridge and some of the other cool attractions there. But again, it was a Saturday, and after a week of travel and staying in, a mot in motels, we were really exhausted. And so by about 3 p.m., we headed towards the San Francisco airport to prepare for the most dreaded part of our trip, and that was the red-eye return flight home, okay? And so we had thought, you know, we're tired. Let's get to the airport early, all right? We'll, we'll check in. We'll get to our gate. We'll rest. We'll eat dinner. Why doesn't everyone eat dinner, you know, at Sabaro Pizza and Cinnabon? You know, I mean, who, who doesn't do that before you take a red-eye flight home, right? But uh, by the time we got to the ticket area to actually check in, uh, there were actually quite a, quite a few people waiting. And so I, I kind of took a step back and kind of examined the area to see which line was moving the fastest. And so we, we picked a line and we waited our time and eventually made it all the way up to the counter where we started interacting with the ticket agent. And so she took our IDs and she's looking up our lights on the computer. And while she was doing that, her supervisor came over and kind of whispered into her ear, hey, just a reminder that the San Francisco to Indy flight is overbooked by 12 people. Now, Immediately, I start thinking to myself, okay, hey, we've got an opportunity here, right? I'm, I'm in no rush to get home. We're a family of five. You know, maybe we can get something out of this. And so I just mentioned to her, I said, you know, hey, we're a family of five. What, what would happen if we gave up our seats? Is there anything that you can do? And so she said, let me check. And that's when the waiting and the anticipation really began. And so we waited and, and we waited. And, and I think most of us know what it's like to wait at, for the agent at the ticket counter. Like they're just typing and you don't know what they're typing for forever and just studying the screen. And, and then there were all these little side conversations and she went over and checked with her manager. And so we just kept waiting and I'm trying to be hopeful, but I got to tell you the longer and longer that it took, the more and, and more my hope was, was starting to, to fade away. I started to lose hope. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to talk about as we open this series today, I want to talk about the reasons why we lose hope. And not just as we wait for a flight or at a ticket counter, but just in life in general. In fact, if you're taking notes uh, and you want to write this down, just four things. Why do we lose hope? Uh, I think the first thing is this. It's just the circumstances of life, right? Uh, different circumstances of life cause us to lose hope. Again, for us, we were a family of five, and so I know that part of the challenge was figuring out how they were going to get all of us back to Indianapolis. And then in my mind, I got to thinking, you know what, they're going to make us wait all the way up until midnight to see who shows up, and then maybe at the last minute, they're going to rush us to another gate to get on a plane to Botswana or something, and, and only to be redirected to Indy finally. And so, you know, the circumstances of life, there are many of them. Uh, that creep in. It's those things that we can't control. It's those things that we can't seem coming that cause us to lose hope. Uh, the second thing is that voices, uh, the different voices of life cause us to lose hope. You know, as this agent was working through the possibilities, again, there were all these side conversations and I could hear some of them. And so after some of the conversations, I got hopeful. And then after a few of the conversations, I was a little less hopeful. And then there were my own internal voices saying things like, these things never work out for you, Paul. Like, why, why are you getting your hopes up here? And so again, voices cause us to lose hope. I think fatigue causes us to lose hope. Uh, I felt like it was at that counter forever. In fact, the people in line behind us all shifted to other lines. They just, they got tired of, uh, of waiting. The longer it took, the more and more I got tired. Eventually, you know, doubt set in. Doubts cause us to lose hope. And uh, again, the longer this took, the more I was stuck thinking, you know what, nothing good is going to come from this. Have we wasted this time? It's been a great trip. You know, maybe we just need to get our tickets and move along. But then something happened. 
finally after what was like 30 or 45 minutes, no joke, uh, the agent comes back to me with this. She says, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mumaw, for your offer to give up your tickets. Uh, we, we'd like to make an offer to you, all right? And, and so here's what she said. She says, we, we would like to give you $500 per person in travel vouchers if you're willing to give up your flight, but here's the catch. We can't get you on a flight home tonight, all right? We can't get you on a flight home until tomorrow. And so for that reason, we are willing to take your family of five and put you up in two rooms at the embassy suites on the bay this evening, all right? We'll provide transportation there and back, and then we can get you out on the noon flight tomorrow. So I was like, so let me just get this straight. <laughs> You're offering me... $2,500 in airline vouchers, two rooms at the embassy suites tonight. I can get on a plane at noon tomorrow. Or I can take the red-eye flight home tonight with my family. Do I look stupid, right? You know, do I, do I look that dumb? Yes, we will take you up on your offer. And so can you think of a better end to an already incredible vacation, right? Talk about hope fulfilled. Now, so that some of you hate me, now despise me for telling you that story, what does any of this have to do with regifting hope at Christmas? Well, two thoughts for those of us that are ready to say, you know what, I want the Lord to use me in a really powerful way this Christmas. Two ways that we can be hope to our community. The first is this, we gotta make sure we're standing in the right line, okay? Make sure we're standing in the right line because I don't know if I'd call it luck, chance, or blessing, but we could have been in another line, all right? There, there's a chance we could have stood in another line and none of this would have ever happened, but our trip was made even better because we were standing this particular line. Let me just ask you this morning, what, what, what hope line are you standing in right now? Like as you think about some of the different circumstances, some of the different events and things going on in your life, what, what, what line are you standing in right now? Like maybe it has to do with your marriage. And uh, there was a day when your marriage was really strong and maybe you think back to your wedding day and you had every opportunity before you, but now life has happened and there's been a whole bunch of circumstances and you're really not sure how you're going to make it through. Uh, sometimes the hope line that we stand in has to do with our health, and if it's not for you, maybe it's somebody that you love that's going through some, some difficult times. Maybe they were hoping for better news, and well, you got difficult news, but, and, and through it, again, you're, you're trying to keep up the hope, but all that you're hearing right now are the voices of the what if. Um, maybe it has to do with your future. Again, we, fear has a way of overcoming us when we think about the future, the anxiety about what's coming, those things you, you can't see those things that you can't predict? What is it that you find yourself hoping for today? You know, the Christmas story gives us another glimpse of a person who was standing uh, in a line, hoping, waiting for something. It's a guy by the name of Simeon, all right? And this story might be a little unfamiliar with you. You should read Luke 2, but maybe you've missed this last part of Luke 2. Let's check this out, starting in verse 25 together. Luke records, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So Simeon had hope, okay? He was hopeful. He was waiting for the Messiah, and it was un wasn't uncommon for people back then to be waiting, all right, with anticipation for the Messiah who was to come. But Simeon's story is unique. He had a very personal Hope. Verse 26, it says the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, we don't know for sure how it happened, but somehow the Holy Spirit came on Simeon where he had a personal encounter. And there was this message basically that, Simeon, you're not going to die. You won't leave this planet, all right, until you've had the opportunity to meet the Messiah. And while many people, again, back then had faith, again, Simeon's was very unique, all right? It was a hope that one day 
this Messiah would come, and you're going to meet him. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, Simeon, he went into the temple courts where, when the parents, all right, and this is Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Basically, Simeon says, I, I can die now. What you have promised has come true. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then Luke writes, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, that's Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is to be destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, Simeon says, you know what, it's, it's going to be hard to remain neutral about this person, Jesus, all right, that, that his arrival and his life are going to cause many to find hope. But others are going to struggle with it. Others are going to stumble be, because of him. And so for Simeon, his hope was anchored in Jesus. And you know what? For us, and at the end of the day, if our hope is anchored in anything other than Jesus Christ, we're going to be disappointed too. We're going to be let down by these other things. And because here's what we know, and if you spend enough time here, you're going to hear us talking about this. We sing songs that tell this story that for us, for Jesus, all right, even though God, he set aside the comforts of heaven and he came to earth as a baby and he grew up and he lived life the way life was intended to be lived. And he gave his life obediently on the cross where he was, he was killed and, and he rose from the dead. And by doing so, all right, God used him to defeat things like sin and, and death and regret and shame, and he's offered hope through this. It's because of Christ's life and death and resurrection that we can have hope in this world, and, and that's a hope that we can be confident in. It's a hope that we're making every effort as a church to put our faith in, because if we put our hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, we're ultimately going to be disappointed and let down. And the fact is this, and I think we all know this uh, on, on some level, the fact is that at this time of the year and with the holidays and add to it the winter, all right, and this annoying omni-cloud that just hovers over the state of Indiana to like April or something, like life's, it's hard, you know, this can be a really difficult time of the year. And, and, and you see a rise in things like depression and sadness and suicide rates go up and, and people face all kinds of difficulties and emotions. And I'm no expert on any of these. All right, but what I wonder if is if it's not for some people at least, if it's not because of, well, some of us have misplaced our hope. We're, we're looking for hope in, in these other things. We're looking for hope in the wrong things. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick." I mean, if you're if you're putting your hope in the wrong things, it it, it makes your heart sick. But but a longing fulfilled, all right, is a tree of life. See when you. When you hope for something and it doesn't happen, it makes you sick, it makes you angry and desperate. And I just wonder if at times, if some of us here today, we've we, we misplaced our hope. We've all misplaced our hope at different times in something like a relationship, maybe a relationship that you hoped work, would work out and it, and it never did. And, or maybe you hoped you'd be married by now, but instead you're you're still single. Maybe, maybe some of us, we, we misplace our hope because we put all of our hope in, in our health and, and we, we think we're invincible or we hope that whatever will never come to our home or to our lives, but maybe your worst fears have come to your home or, or maybe you have someone else in mind that's really suffering right now. 
Uh, sometimes we put our faith in goals that we set, you know, especially as we get to the end of the year. Maybe some of you are thinking back to the beginning of, la- of this past year, and maybe you set some goals for debt relief or, you know, getting out of debt or weight loss, or maybe you set a goal to kick an old habit or something, and the fact is that you didn't come close with any of these goals, and so you're thinking, why even try this year? Like, what, what's the point? Sometimes we get stuck standing in the wrong hope line. And, and when we go looking for hope in anything but Jesus, you know, we're, we're setting ourselves up for, for disappointment. And that's what the writer of Psalm 42, I think that was kind of his situation and where he found himself. Look what he writes, Psalm 42, verse 11. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And I'm not exactly sure what issues it was that he was facing, but he's clearly disappointed. He's talking to himself, but then it's almost like he remembers the truth, all right? He, he, he's taking himself back to the truth, and he says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, and my God. And so it's almost like he decides, you know what? I've been standing in the wrong line, all right? I've been looking for hope in all of these wrong places, and so I need to move to another. I need to refocus my priorities. I need to get back to my relationship with God as the first and most important thing in my life. Are you discouraged today? Do you have some discouragement in your life right now, some frustrations? And would you be willing to ask yourself, is it, is it possible that you've at least been putting some of your faith and hope maybe in the wrong things or too much in the wrong things? Hebrews 6, uh, kind of verse 18, 19, there verse 19, he says, you know, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. Notice those words. He, he says an, it's like an anchor for our souls. If you know anything about boating, you know, the waves can get rough. The, the winds can be a force. If the anchor is planted firmly in the depths, well, you, you think about how that boat can stand, that it can weather any storm. And, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that, that's what Jesus is for us. All right, that's the hope that we can have in the Lord. And it doesn't mean that there won't be pain. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some difficult times. Like hope in Jesus doesn't mean we always get what we want. But having hope in Jesus means that because of what he accomplished on the cross and his life risen from the dead, our future can be secure in him. Uh, We can put our faith in him. He he is the anchor for our souls. He, He is and can be our hope. And that's a hope that can carry you through the most frightening circumstances that you've ever faced or ever dreamt of. That's that's a hope that overcomes uncertainty. That's a a hope that keeps us going when we want to give up. It's a hope that you can heal, that can heal you uh, from maybe some regret and shame that keep following you around. Are you in that line today? Like, is, is that your hope? Is Jesus Christ the hope for you or is it in something else? And remember this, remember, you can't re gift something unless, uh, you can't re-give something unless you've received, you know, that you haven't received, right? Or that you haven't experienced. And so what we want to do is the first thing that we need to do is to make sure that we're standing in the right line, okay? That we're looking for our hope in, in the right places. And if you're not standing in the right line, then you need to get to the right line and putting your, your faith and, and trust, finding your hope in Him. But once we do that, like once we acknowledge, all right, our hope in Christ, the next thing that we have to do is we have to agree that we have the responsibility as followers of Jesus to go out and to speak hope to others. Like, we, we have to be that hope. We have to be that message for others. Like, can you think of a time when somebody spoke some encouraging or hopeful words into your life? I, I, ho- I, I think you probably got some moments like that. If, if you think about it, I think about some men, some pastors 
that have been really special to me, that have spoken words of hope into my life. And, and you don't forget those words. Like, I'll, I'll remember those words uh, forever. Words are a powerful thing. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. We know there's power in the words that we speak. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago in our James series. But here's our assignment. And here's the assignment for us these next few weeks. I want to challenge you to use your words to speak life and hope to others. And why? Because there's too many people speaking words of death these days. All right, there's too many people speaking words of criticism and cynicism. There's way too much complaining out there today. But let's, let's make it our goal. Let's, let's make a decision today of, you know what, I'm going to speak words of life. I, I want to be a person that speaks words of hope wherever I go. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. All right? And so that's what we want to do. All right, we want to be people that speak words of hope. In fact, would you be willing uh, to make a decision this morning to say, over these next few weeks, I'm not going to speak you know, words of cynicism, criticism, negativity, bitterness. Like your filter becomes this. Like as you speak, you think to yourself, are, are these hope-filled words? As, as you get ready to post or tweet or something, you're even asking yourself, you know, how will these words impact someone else? You know, are these indeed, could these be words of hope and truth? that I can speak for the sake of someone else. Like, I, I love this church. I, I love Genesis. I, I love that I get to be a part of this family with you. And as I think about how this church is full of so many people, so many people that are speaking words of hope, uh, so many people that are speaking words of life and encouragement in so many different ways. Like, I think about my friends, like Jim and Kathleen Vaselli. And uh, for those that know Jim and Kathleen, man, you've been touched in some powerful way by their encouragement and their enthusiasm and their truth and their optimism in life. They are so encouraging with their, their time and their words. I, I think about people like Judy Miller. And I don't know how many of you know Judy or not. She was here in our first service. But Judy uh, bakes snacks for our high school student ministry every single week. She's done this for years, all right? And she brings those in. It's her way of just showing love. It's her way of encouraging our students and leaders. I think about people like Tim and Jill Funk and Mike and Stephanie Estes and Gerald and Stephanie Waterman and Rebecca Lowe's and their, and their kids, too, that have served in Gen Kids week after week after week. And, and I know I'm leaving people out, so I apologize if I've left you out. But, but isn't it so cool? I mean, you, some of you have interacted with them and maybe not even realized it. But, but they, I just love that they're pouring into our kids. Again, these are encouraging, hopeful people. I think about so many of our high school students that are just out living their lives for the Lord and influencing others, investing in kids here, but also investing in kids out in their schools. And they're sharing what they've learned. And they're speaking words of hope into students' lives. They're living in ways and speaking words that get the attention of others. And I could go on and on with so many other examples. But here's the thing, Genesis there are people all around us and in our community right now that need to hear that there is a trustworthy person for which they can put their hope in. And that's why I love this community. That's why I'm hopeful for why God has called us here. But again, it's about every person doing this. It's about every person out living intentionally and on mission. And that's part of the reason why we're giving our Christmas offering away this year, all right? We just wanna come alongside some of our partner ministries and be a voice of hope. Kevin talked about that just a moment ago. One of those partner ministries is Nehemiah Vision Ministries. 
in Haiti, all right? We've been supporting them for a number of years. We're sending a team there in February. We learned this past week that they are currently $4,000 short on a community center that they want to build as a gift to their community, to their neighbors. What if Genesis could help NVM meet that goal? Like, what if, what if that's one of the ways that we could show hope and share hope with NVM? Some of you remember Josh and Heidi Tandy, who served here a number of years, served in our student ministry. Uh, they went off to plant a church in northern Kentucky, kind of greater Cincinnati area, five years ago. Now their church is celebrating five years this next year. And uh, they've got some goals. They've got some things that they would love to do for their community. What if Genesis could play a part in helping them meet some of those needs so that they can continue to be hope for the people? around them. See, we can share hope in so many different ways. And and maybe some of you here today are thinking to yourself, well, I I don't know where I fit in. I don't have a part to play. Let me just say this. It doesn't matter if you're a kid. It doesn't matter if you're a student, young, single, married, growing old. You are a critical part of Jesus' strategy of helping people find their way back to God here in this community. And it's about people. See, Genesis can't do this on its own. It's you and me. Like, it's you and me out living out this mission. And so will you join me? I, I hope that you'll join me and just make it your effort and goal, especially these next weeks, to be a voice of hope in our schools and our homes and with our neighbors and public and social media. And let's re-gift hope to this community and speak hope to others. And when people ask, why are you so kind? Or people ask, why is it that you see things so differently? We follow the advice of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when he reminds us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And so we're reminded that if you live it, like if you're intentional about going out and speaking it, you're going to get the attention of others. And after a while, and you know, maybe, maybe that hope, that action, that prayer, maybe that opens a door for you to have a conversation about your own faith. Uh, Maybe it provides you an opportunity to invite somebody to come to one of our Christmas services. Maybe somebody that's never stepped into a church like ours before. But if we commit to being hope and speaking hope, God's going to open the door for us to talk about it and to share the hope that we have with others that they might find their way back to God. And we're going to close here in just a moment, but I want to take you back to that airport in San Francisco for just a second. We had a great meal. We had a great night of sleep We were relaxed and refreshed the next day. We got to the airport a little before our flight. And when we got there and went to get our tickets, the ticket agent said this, no joke. Three of the five of you are going to have to write in first class, all right? (laughs) It's true. Now, because my son Joel and I are the servants in our family, we gave that opportunity to Jenny and Luke and Kate. And I remember that when we got on the plane, I walked by Jenny sitting in first class, and I kind of leaned down and said, ride like you've been here before, right? You know? And so we went back to our seats after the flight. I was so excited to get to her and say, hey, what'd you, what'd you eat? What'd you drink in first class? I've never been in first class before. She said, well, I wasn't hungry or thirsty, so I didn't get anything. I've never been more ashamed, you know, in my life, you know, to miss an opportunity like that. And, and, and how, did, how did Joel and I survive and coach? Like, how, how did we make it, you know, survive and, and coach? Honestly, here's the thing for us. After a wonderful vacation, we knew we were going home. Uh, we knew we were on our way home. Here, here's what we know. Life can be hard. Life can be challenging and difficult. There are things that don't always work out the way that we'd like. But when your hope is in Jesus, and when you have anchored your life in him, it doesn't matter what you go through. Because guess what? 
in the end, you're going home. We're all going home. That, that's the wonderful gift that we have is this eternity, this promise of life with Christ forever with him. And if you're here this morning and you're maybe new to all of this, maybe hurting, maybe struggling, fighting to keep going, know this, this God of ours is crazy about you. He loves you, and you are the reason that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this world, to die, to give his life so that you can have life through him, and you can trust him. I want you to know today that you can trust him. You are surrounded by people right now who would say you can trust him. You can put your hope in him. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the hope that we have. Will you stand with me together? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise that we have and through your son, Jesus Christ, the hope that has been freely offered to us that many here this morning have received and pray, we pray this morning, Lord, that it would be our motivation and desire to go out of this place in just a moment and be that hope, live that out for others to see. Give us faith, give us strength, give us awareness, Lord. Give us words, give us actions, give us heart for generosity, care, and compassion. May we be more and more like Jesus each and every day. And Father, I do pray for that someone here today, Lord, that maybe has never put their faith or trust in you. I pray that they would know the power of your promise today that you gave your son, Jesus, so that they may have life. That's for you for you here today that have never put your trust in the Lord before. He gave his son for you so that you could have life and that you could have hope. It's been freely offered. And I pray that maybe in your life in some way and some acknowledgement today, you'd say, I want that. I'm receiving that today. And if that's a choice, if that's a decision you've made today, we'd love to talk to you. We'll be up front afterwards. We'd love to talk or pray with you. Maybe you came with somebody today. And maybe you might talk to them a little bit about what you're experiencing or what you're thinking, and they'd love to have a conversation with you. Father, thanks for your love. Thanks for being our living hope. Help us to be that living hope for others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.